The Teachers College at Emporia State University presents How We Teach This. I taught middle school for many years in the Wichita area in Title I buildings. There was one book that made a huge impact on my teaching career, which was Framework for Understanding Poverty by Dr. Ruby Payne. She turned on a light bulb for me to understanding that students coming from a background of poverty not only had different opportunities than those from a middle-class background, but they had also not been taught the same values and resources. She changed my entire viewpoint on things I could do to impact my students. I am so excited to share with you that we have an interview with Dr. Ruby Payne when she came to Emporia State University and presented on the topic of emotional poverty. You might ask yourself the question, is it worth my time listening to this podcast? The answer, as Ruby Payne suggests, would be, does the sun rise every day? I know this uh, middle school teacher, he used to get so, every morning he taught PE and the kids would come in and say, do we have to dress out today? (laughs) (laughs) I might move over here. And so. he would always say, did the sun come up this morning? <laughs> he said, yes. Yeah. So I was thinking about your list. <laughs> yes. Do I have to see what's on the list? Did the sun come up? <laughs> no, this is an unusual weekend where you don't have to do your chores. <laughs> For this interview, she answers questions posed by Maddie Douglas, president, and Dylan Schneider, alumni representative, both from the Trauma-Informed Educators Club. My name is Maddie Douglas, and I'm the president of the Trauma-Informed Educators Student Organization here at Emporia State University. Hello, my name is Dylan Schneider. I am the alumni representative for the Trauma-Informed Educators Club here at Emporia State. We are honored to have Dr. Ruby Payne here with us today to share some insight on emotional poverty. Dr. Payne, for our listeners who may not know much about you, would you mind telling us a little about yourself and what you do? Well, I've been an educator for many years. I taught at high school, elementary principal, a student taught at middle school. Uh, That's where I learned about sex. (laughs) (laughs) Now, it wasn't at all correct. (laughs) Um, And then I did a lot of consulting, and then I wrote the first book, A Framework for Understanding Poverty, and um, now more recently, uh, Emotional Poverty. Well, we are so grateful to have this time with you today. Our first question for you is, where does your passion on emotional poverty stem from? And what led you to become so invested in spreading this knowledge and research um, to others? Well, first of all, I'm always fascinated by how people think and how they know what they know. But we have two arms of the company. One is an arm that works with K-12 and one is an arm that works with communities called Bridges, and we have a program in that one called Getting Ahead in a Getting By World. And we've taken 90,000 adults in poverty through that training. And we we say you are a problem solver, but we don't think you always have the opportunity to get knowledge bases, information bases other people get because you're busy surviving, okay? So we asked, we teach them about how you build resources and we asked them to kind of keep a scale of it, you know, zero to ten where their resources are developing. Well, this gentleman said the following, and, 
And every now and again, you'll have somebody kind of jerk you awake, okay? And he said, look, you assume that everybody started at zero, and you want them to get to five or six. He said, but we did not all start at zero. He said, some of us started at minus three, like me. He said, my mother was a meth addict. I was born with a meth addiction. He said, if I get to plus two, I've gone as far as the person who started at zero and got to five. The second thing that happened is I became increasingly, as I traveled, people were telling me, you know, our discipline strategies aren't working anymore, okay? We're trying to address emotional issues with discipline strategies. And then they would say this to me, we've done a lot of in trauma-informed care, but I still don't know what to do, okay? And then I got to thinking this, about 90% of your environment, uh, your emotional realities, are actually formed by your environment. So schools are really good about academic triage. You didn't get this information in your environment, we know how to fill it in, okay? But we have virtually no tools for emotional development and emotional reality. You know, what we've done in the past is we've just isolated kids or punished them, but we haven't really said, how do we actually develop those structures in that environmental rea emotional reality so you can negotiate it? So I probably have read, I don't know, four or 500 books. I went to the, back to the clinical research, the neurobiology research, the um, looking at, okay, what are the basic structures you have to have, okay? And then, I, I believe that if you want to be successful, you always should have a coach or a therapist or something like that. I don't know of a, a successful person, sports, athlete, whatever, that doesn't have a coach, okay? So, over the last several years, I've had several coaches, therapists, and they all have an area of specialty but they don't give you this picture of how, what is it at the beginning, then what do you develop, what do you build, how does it happen? Mm -hmm. So our next question is, what benefit does truly understanding the systems of poverty have on our educators who will be working with kids and families who might be experiencing poverty? Well, institutions tend to operate off uh, concepts of stability and planning, okay? And if you are in poverty, you don't have a lot of resources to, to maintain stability. Two years ago, I watched a special on TV about homelessness in LA, Los Angeles. They interviewed a 17-year-old boy, and they asked him how he spends his time. He's homeless. He spends about seven, eight hours a day hunting for food. Now, if you are spending that much time every day just hunting for food, it means that you don't have time for so many other things. And so what we find is that a lot of the assumptions of schooling and institutions um, operate off the concept that there'll be enough stable resources that you have time to learn. Mm -hmm. And if you don't if you don't understand there's other realities, then I think it's very difficult. Yeah, for sure.
Um, if teachers are reluctant to work with students in poverty, what advice would you give them to encourage them to work with a student population that is different from them? Um, I would say, and I wrote a book just recently that's a freebie called Before You Quit Teaching. It's a free download, okay? Um, but it, I recommend, number one, there, it's the most rewarding, in my opinion, kind of teaching. Number two, probably the most frustrating. Number three, um, it is, I would say, if you're really interested in making a difference, you would consider that. Yeah. Um, for an educator who is wanting to share this knowledge um, and, te and those teachings with their peers, how would you recommend doing this as some might be hesitant? Uh, the best tool is stories. Mm -hmm. uh, stories are remembered in the brain longer than any other form of memory, and people respond to stories. They don't respond to facts very much. The second thing I recommend, uh, that they talk to teachers who have worked mm -hmm. with kids in poverty. Do you see these teach it, teachings being on the rise in education? Or, well, one of the things that's going on right now, the book of Framework for Understanding Poverty mm -hmm. is uses social cognitive theory. How, how um, environments make you think. Mm -hmm. There's also a huge push right now to use social justice theory, mm -hmm. that it's about the system, okay? And I think if you're going to teach well, you have to know about social cognitive theory and social justice theory. It can't be one or the other. Yeah. So um, how have your findings and research impacted you professionally um, as an educator? Well, my former husband who passed away in 2010, his name was Frank Penny. I kind of lived a lot of that through his family, his neighborhood, etc. But for me, um, the emotional poverty was huge because it helped me understand um, issues in my own life. You know what I mean? No one, no one kind of has a, a whole um, fully developed emotional reality. Yeah. So how you how do you get that if you didn't get it? In yeah. Um, our last question for you today is, what advice do you have for free service teachers like myself? Well, first of all, I love that you guys are going into teaching. I am very concerned for the profession. We are 900,000 teachers short in the U.S. right now. Um, and last year was brutal for educators. Mm -hmm. Um, so my advice would be, if you want to make a difference, if you can balance the frustrations with the reward, it'd be hard to find anything more compelling. A friend of mine said this, she started out as a teacher and then she and her husband moved and she took a job as a manager of a division of a company. And she said, you know, Ruby, when I taught, I felt like I was really making a difference. 
she said, if we sell one more item in the big picture, who really cares? She said, I felt like I impacted lives in a way I don't. We thank you so much um, for being here with us today. We're so fortunate to have gotten to do this podcast with you. Um, we cannot thank you enough for taking the time to be here at Emporia State University. And we're so excited to hear you talk for the second annual um, Trauma-Informed Educators Conference. Thank you. You can find more episodes of How We Teach This on your favorite podcast platform.